Today we are going to start a new series uh, out of the book of Colossians called Above All. And uh, we do two basic kinds of um, sermon series. Ones are, are topical, and so we just went through a topical series on uh, marriage and singleness and dating and all that. And now we're going to hit uh, a, a letter, which is that we're just going to go through uh, these verses. There's four chapters in this, um, in this letter. And we're going to just go through the verses, and that's going to be the structure of what we're going to be talking about. When it's a topic, of course, you just take whatever that topic is, and you take the breadth of Scripture and kind of apply it to what the Bible has to say holistically to that one topic. And then when you go through a book, you kind of let the flow of the letter of the author dictate the kinds of things that, that you talk about. And so both are very good, and both are important, and so we do both. And uh, so I want to talk just a little, I'm going to give some overview of really things that might be helpful before we dive into uh, this series. Um, number one, in an epistle, it's not the wife of apostle, but an epistle is a letter. Uh, it's simply that. It's, it's a letter that Paul wrote. And Paul wrote many letters to the churches that he either personally planted or he was involved in planting or starting, I should say. And um, this was a letter. So he wrote several letters. So he wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, the Philippians. He wrote a, a, a two letters to the church in, in Corinth, Corinthians and and Ephesians, and Galatians, and Romans, and so these are all letters that he wrote to these churches uh, to strengthen them and encourage them, and we're going to look at this letter that he wrote to a specific church in Colossae, and it's amazing too because uh, scripture is divinely inspired, that is, it comes from God, yet it's unmistakably in a particular context uh, for particular people, for a particular purpose, and it's so helpful to really understand uh, the background and, and where this, this, this letter and this author is coming from when we look at these things so that it comes alive, uh, comes alive more for us. Because, um, you know, you can kind of look at the Bible and it's just kind of like you can kind of gloss over it as like this ancient religious teaching, uh, but it has so much for us. And so we're, we're going to uh, look at this today. And, and the reason why Paul wrote these letters is because, I mean, he wanted to be with them in person, uh, but it, it, but travel was difficult and it was really difficult when you're in prison. And so a lot of times he was in prison, so you had to write him a letter and communicate. And he just was using the technology of the day to communicate to all these different churches and that the technology was pen and paper. And uh, that's one of the things that we do here at Jubilee Church is that we have different uh, sites and I would love to be all uh, at these sites in person, but we use the technology of the day, which is uh, a video camera. Uh, to help uh, to communicate the gospel and to, to have the message be all together, which was, was Paul's hope. I'm sure Paul would use video if he had it, um, but he didn't, so he used pen and paper. And so that's what we're looking at today. We're looking at this, this letter. And what's interesting about this particular letter is that he never really started the church in Colossae. Um, <clears throat> but it happened because uh, when he was in the city of Ephesus, um, he spent a couple years there, he wrote a couple letters. He wrote, you know, he wrote to the Ephesians and, and the Colossians about the same time. That's why actually those books are, those letters are very similar uh, in what the, in their content. But uh, he he didn't start the church in Colossae. But when he was in Ephesus, it says that he was uh, preaching and teaching daily in what was called the Hall of Tyrannus. And because of that, the gospel spread. In fact, it's in Acts 19. Let me show that for you right here. Um, it says, and he took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents in all of Asia, which really was just 
uh, back then was just Turkey, Asia Minor, uh, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so this guy, uh, specifically Epaphras, was one of his disciples. He said, hey, I'm juiced about this. And he took the gospel from Ephesus to Colossae. Let me show you a map. So Ephesus was right over here by the coast. And my wife and I were, had the privilege. We were in Ephesus last year uh, in Turkey and got to see the ancient city, uh, got to walk the streets that most certainly Paul walked and, and spoke from. And in that, in that context, he spoke, he did all this daily training. And for two years, it went to all these different cities. And one of them was, uh, was Colossae, where this guy Epaphras went to. And this guy Epaphras also did Laodicea, which that may be familiar to you in Revelation, where it says, hey, don't be, you know, God doesn't want anything lukewarm. It's either hot or cold. And that's where that all comes from. And so he planted this church in Colossae. And the reason why I mentioned this and and not just because I think it's kind of helpful background, is because this idea, this thing that Paul was doing in Ephesus is a lot of what's in our heart here at Jubilee Church. And, and that is not so much being like this preaching center when we hope that, man, we hope that you, people benefit from um, you know, the, the, pre- the preaching of God's word and those kinds of things. But our real desire is that just like Paul did in Ephesus, where people heard the gospel, their hearts were set on fire for the gospel, and they wanted to take that to all of the region. Our hope is that the fruit of what we do here at Jubilee Church, that we, our hearts would catch on fire by the gospel, that we'd be trained in the gospel, and then by the spirit, we would go out into our neighborhoods, our communities, our townships, and even other cities with the gospel. That's why one of the reasons why we want to plant churches, why we want to plant other locations. And, and so a year or so ago, you know, we set out this vision for 10 years. Let's plant five new locations in, in this St. Louis area and two other locations, uh, excuse me, two other churches in our region because we have this heart for the region. And so my hope is uh, that we would take the gospel to our neighborhoods, to our schools, to our workplaces and even cities beyond. And it could just be that some of you kind of share this heart of Epaphras, which is like, hey, I, I feel like God may be calling me to a Colossae, to another city. And I uh, feel like I want to plant a church. I, you know, I feel like I, there's a leadership that I, I want to know. I want to say, man, that's a great desire. I mean, Paul says so in 1 Timothy 3. He says it's a good desire uh, to want to be an elder, to want to be a leader in the church. And I, just a couple things. One is I'm going to give you a couple things to do here. So if you're one of these guys, just kind of write it down. One is work on your character. Man, become, uh, become someone. Uh, become someone of character, godly character. First Timothy 3, people will put up with bad preaching. They do it all the time here. But they, what, what you can't mess up, though, is, is your life and, and your character. And doesn't mean you're perfect, but go for that. And secondly, tell someone. I know it's kind of a scary thing, a presumptuous thing, but there's just something kind of hidden in your heart and you feel like, hey, you know, tell someone that so that we can, uh, we can help you in, uh, in leading you into the things that God have you to do. But I just, man, I just, I love when I was reading about this book, this letter that Paul write about Colossae, and it's like my heart burned like, yeah, we want to be, we want to do that. Just how this vibrant um, center for training and sending people out into, uh, into neighborhoods and surrounding cities. It's just amazing. It's what, it's what we're going for here at the church and so we're, what we're going to do is we're going to study this, this letter together, and, I, and I'm just so excited. I think God's going to do some good things. He's going to uh, speak to us. He's going to equip us. We're going to be taught in vision concerning things about our individual lives, but, you know, our life together corporately, and we're going to come here every Sunday for the next, I mean, probably several weeks and months. It's going to, we'll be here a while. It'll be great, and we'll take a little breaks here and there, but 
Um, but we're doing that here on Sunday, but also in groups. If you're not in a community group, it's a great time to jump in one right now and get in on this study as we uh, kind of dive into this wonderful, wonderful letter of Colossians. And so let's just go to verse chapter, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 1 in Colossians. It'd just be helpful maybe just kind of keep the Bible open there on your lap, and we'll, we're going to just talk about a few things here in these first couple verses. So it starts this way, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This letter starts with him introducing ourselves. You know, back, back then, they started letters with who it's from. Today, we end letters, which probably makes more sense to start. Like, this is who I am. You have to read all the way to the end to find out who this person is. So they started in the beginning. And so who is this guy, Paul? Well, it says here that Paul uh, was an apostle of Christ Jesus, but he wasn't always apostle. He, he used to be murderer of Christians, and now he's leader of Christians. He wasn't born like a Christian leader, but he was born again and transformed by Jesus into something completely different. You can read about his testimony in Acts chapter 9. And what Dr. Luke says there, he records of, of his testimony. Paul was on the pathway uh, to Damascus to, to murder Christians. He was an assassin of Christians. He was looking to persecute the church. And then it says that God met him, and, uh, and then one moment he's wanting to kill Christians, the next minute he's saying, you know, you know, God, how can I extend this? I was once about extinguishing Christians, now I want to extend this message. And this was a powerful, powerful, dramatic um, encounter that he had. So how do you go from a murder of Christians uh, to a leader of Christians? Well, the short answer is the grace and mercy of God. Uh, we'll read about this in Colossians 2 sometime next year, but it says, it, it says in Colossians 2 that we were dead, but God made us alive, uh, that he took this record of sin and he nailed it to the cross, and, and the legal demands of sin that was on our life is no more, and we were dead, but he raised us up with him and he's made us alive. And God did that with Paul dramatically. Now, other people like uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, it wasn't all at once, but it was kind of this moment-by-moment moment thing. There were several events in, in Peter's life uh, where he was led into a relationship with Jesus. So from when, you first, when, he, when we first meet Jesus and Peter, um, Jesus blesses Peter by healing his mother-in-law. If you call that a blessing, he did that for his life. And then the second thing that he did was later on, he blesses his fishing business. You know, Peter was fishing on the wrong side of the boat, and Jesus like, you got it all wrong? You need a fish on the other side of the boat and all these fish. And then it was in that moment where Peter said, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And he followed him. Now, he didn't follow him because, hey, you know, this guy makes me money. Because actually he left his business to go follow him. But what it was is that's when he got the revelation of who Jesus was. For Paul, it was in an instant. For Peter, it was kind of moment by moment. And, I, and I'm bringing this up because it's, it's something not to gloss over. For Paul... It was like he was so aware of what God had done in his life. And I just want, you know, have you aware of what God has done in your life? What was it for you? What is, he, what, what is your testimony? What is your story? How did he change you? Was it in a moment? Was it like, man, I was just like, in, you know, one moment I was this way, and next moment I was this way, or was it kind of this gradual thing? Whatever it is, man, it's important to have that testimony. Or maybe it hasn't happened for you yet. I'm so glad you're here. You're welcome to be with us as, we, as you explore Jesus. We hope that this is helpful. How it happens differs, but it, it happened none, it happens the same nonetheless. Um, 
The other thing I want to point out in these first few words is that identity comes before our purpose. You see this in this writing. What you see in this letter is you see Paul, who is an apostle. What you don't see is apostle Paul. He, he, it's important to see that, that he's saying that who I am, who God's made me to be, comes before my purpose. Um, there's a pause here. There's a pause between his name, who he was, and what God... So it was kind of like, I'm a son who is a servant. I'm, I love this relationship, Jesus. Oh, and I have a role. Friendship with you, God, is amazing. Thank you for this function. It's, it's this identity before um, identity before purpose. And this was huge for the writings of Paul. If you will look at here at 1 Corinthians 15, uh, um, verse 10, Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So this is identity. By the grace of God, I am. Thank you, God, that you accept me. Thank you, God, that you're a new creation. There's this pause. And then he says, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Uh, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. So he says, he says, I have a purpose, I have a function, and I work very hard at that, but his identity didn't come be, by the fact that he worked really hard or that he was successful. It came because of Jesus. And this morning, I just want to make sure, I just want to make sure that you're leaving a big enough pause between your identity and your purpose. I just want to make sure that it's, it's Paul, who is an apostle, and not apostle, Paul. It's so important. So maybe you're a mother named Jill. I just want to make sure that it's Jill who's accepted by God, who's seated in heavenly places, and a daughter of, of, of God uh, who, who, you know, sometimes you do well as a mom, sometimes you do bad as a mom, sometimes kids turn out great, sometimes they don't turn out great, but by the grace of God, you are who you are. It, it's so important that it's, that it's Jill who is a mother, not I'm a mother named Jill. It, it, it seems kind of small, but it's massive, massive in, in, in Scripture. Because someday, if, you, if you are Jill, who is a mother, or if, excuse me, if you're a, a mother named Jill, there's, going to be, there's always going to be a mom who's, who's better than you. Your kids may not turn out like you think they're going to turn out, or that you hope they turn out. And if your identity is wrapped up in the role that God has given you, so Paul's role was an apostle, if, you, if your identity is wrapped up in the role that God has given you, which is a mother, it's going gonna, it's gonna to ruin you. For Paul, he was rock solid in his confidence in God, and, and it was, he was rock solid not because, hey, man, he was a great apostle, but because of what Jesus had done for him. So maybe you hear your marketing guru and Michelle, your, your, your marketing guru and Michelle. I want to encourage you to flip that, to change that, to... Jill, who is a marketing guru, or the opposite, maybe your unsuccessful businessman, Tom. Sorry, Tom. Um, needs to be Tom, who's rock solid in Christ, who's a new creation, seated in heavenly places, who stinks at business. Because if the thing for you, if you're like in an icebreaker, an icebreaker say, hey, what's the big thing about you? If you're like, well, I don't do really well at business. Or what's the thing for you? Well, I really enjoy being a mother. What's the thing for you? Well, I really, I really love my job right now. And the thing, needs, the thing that needs to be for us is, man, I'm, I'm in Christ. He saved me. 
He's made me a new creation. This is amazing. So important. That's what, that's what uh, Encounter is all about. That's why we're doing uh, Encounter this week. It's because we just want to make sure that there's a pause between our identity and our role. It's why we don't do, that's why I'm not Pastor Brian. I don't say Pastor Brian or Pastor Steve or Pastor Seth or whatever. No, no, it's Brian who is a pastor. And we don't want to make a big deal of it. If, you know, some people are new and you can say, hey, pastor, you know, it's fine. I'm not going to whack you with the Bible or anything. But it's like, it's, for us, I just want to flip it. When you say things like, I want to flip it in my head. No, no, I'm not pastor. I'm Brian. I, oh, yeah, my role is I do pastor. Thank God for that. It's a privilege to lead this church and all of that. But, but it's, 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 it's Brian who is a pastor. It's Steve who is a pastor. Because fundamentally, who are we? Are we pastors? Are we husbands? Are we mothers? Are we business execs? Are we bank tellers? Are we students? First and foremost, we are Brian, we are Tom, we are Betty, who have been bought and purchased by the blood of Jesus and accepted by him forever, seated in heavenly places. And oh yeah, we have a role. It's so important that we get this right, and Paul got this right. Not belittling our role in our life. I mean, Paul was saying, hey, look, this grace of God, it wasn't without effect. It wasn't in vain. In fact, because of God's grace, I worked harder than anyone. But he got the identity part right before he said, this is what I do. And we need to do that. And again, that's why we're gathering this week for Encounter. You may be wondering, why are we doing Encounter? Encounter is a, a time this week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, where we're just coming. We're just going to worship. We're going to worship God. We're going to be in God's presence. Why would we do that? Well, we want to make sure that there's a, there's a pause between our identity and our function. I think that's important for us because I think we're a church that gets, hey, we need to, we, we know what's next and you're probably here because, you, you know, you're, um, you know, you, you, you want to do something with your life. We're very clear about, hey, this is where God's leading us, this is where God's calling us to do and be and all of that and that's important. But man, we need to make sure that we get our identity right. So what we're going to do, we're going to worship God and when, when, you, when you worship God, you're just like, God, this is who you are, this is... And, and everything is about lifting up his name. It's in those moments, in his presence, that he speaks identity to us, that you're my son. That's one of God's favorite things to tell his people. One of his favorite things to remind us is you are a son. It's one of the things the Holy Spirit does. It says it reminds us that we are sons and daughters. It does that. It's what it means to be in God's presence. Oftentimes when, when, when you would hear, and if in the Bible, in the Gospels, when you would hear an audible voice from heaven, when it said there's an audible voice from heaven, usually it started with, my son, whom I am well pleased. The Father just loves to speak out identity when we're in his presence. And so we want to take a time to pause that. This has been huge in my life. There's been a couple times that I can remember where God has really spoken to me about this to say, you know, Brian, I just want to make sure there's a pause between who I've who I've, what I've done for you, what I've called you to be in your role. Uh, the first time I was about 23-ish, and I, I wanted to be husband of Rachel, Brian. Not Brian, you know, who is a husband. And so I went after uh, who is now my wife, Rachel. And there was, she had, she was more spiritually in tune, and there was a delay between when I wanted to be that role, and then when it actually happened. And thank God it worked out that way, because that was a phenomenal year for me and my wife, where, he, where God just spoke identity. This is who you are. You're, you're a son. You're a daughter. And if I would have, like, short-circuited that into be, having this function, which is being 
you know, her husband and she being my wife, it would have messed that up. God in his wisdom day said, Brian, I just want to pause. I just want to make sure that you're Brian, who is a husband. And not husband, Brian. The other time was when we were searching for a building. This is a few years ago. I just started leading the church in 2005, and we were right in the middle of, we're getting ready, we felt like we needed to, to buy a building, and so we were looking at all different places. I mean, we looked, I mean, we looked at every building, I think, in St. Louis. I could tell you, I should go into commercial real estate, because I could, I know the square footage, I know, I know all of it. I mean, just we looked at every single building, it was difficult and frustrating, most of them, because, you know, what, what we, our vision was way bigger than our bank account, and so we finally found this place that we thought, man, this is ideal, this is perfect, it's within our financial grasp. And so we were like, we made a good offer, I think even a little bit more than what they were asking for. And, um, you know, we, so we did it, and then we scheduled this prayer meeting, uh, and we were going to come together, we're going to pray, and just say, God, give us this building. And, you know, I had this kind of dream in my head, this daydream of like, you know, because back then, I, I probably wouldn't admit it then, in fact, I probably have never admitted it, but I was like really wanting to prove myself. It's like, man, I want to prove that, you know, I can handle this, and I'm not belittling team at all because we were in it together, and thank God for that. It wasn't just me doing this. We're all in this um, together. But there was a sense in me, like, I'm going to show them, like, you know, hey, I can do this, and, and you, know, you know, we're going to come, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get the building, and everyone's going to think, oh, what a great leader Brian is, and it's all going to be awesome, and, and, you know, roses, and just, like, amazing. It's just, like, it was awesome, and in my head. And then, just on the way to the prayer meeting, I get a phone call from the realtor saying that they declined our offer. And they weren't supposed to give us the, the answer for like another week or two. But on the way to the prayer meeting to pray that we get the building, you're not getting it. Oh. I just felt like, and there's a lot of things God did, I just felt like God was saying in that moment, I just want to make sure, hey, it's Brian who I've called to lead churches, not church leader, Brian. We're going to put a pause on this. Now, the good news is, is that we got a building, I think a better building. This is the building we're in, by the way, we bought. And, um, and it all worked out, and it, God provided and sovereign. But he was, I mean, he was showing me things about identity before purpose. It's so huge. I just, I really hope that we, I mean, we can end it right here, because this is such a big point for us. I want to make sure that you, that we all are, pa- that we're pausing between what our identity in Christ is and the role that he's given us to play. Now, we do have a role. Um, Paul did have an, a, a purpose, which is to be an apostle. That was his ministry role or function. I wonder if you know what yours is, if you know what your, what your role is, what God has given you to do. And there's a few, way, there's a, there's a few things that you can do to find out. Number one is to serve generally. Number two is to find out what you enjoy. And number three is to, what, what is bearing fruit? And you can apply this to any area of your life. So like maybe it's, you know, finding a spouse. Well, I think serve generally. And what I mean by that is be a friend to everyone. Treat everyone like a brother. Treat everyone like a sister. No, I mean, just, you know, generally uh, treat everyone well. Treat everyone with respect and love and grace. And then there may be, okay, who do you enjoy? Who do you enjoy? And then thirdly, is that relate? And then if there's a re- any kind of relationship, is that relationship bearing fruit? Which, by the way, that third one, you can't determine on your own probably. The second one, you're the only one who can say whether you enjoy it or not. No one can tell you that. But that third one, is it bearing fruit? It's probably something you need help with. What do I mean by bearing fruit? 
Well, number one, are they, are they, are they causing you to want to love Jesus more? Is that person, man, they really draw out a passion for Jesus? Are they doing that? Or secondly, are, are you just, are you a better person because of it? Are you more full of joy, more, more full of faith, more full of peace because of that person? Are you always, it's like, or your friends are like, man, every time you hang out with, every time you go on a date, I get worried because you're always like grumpy and mad. You're always angry, you're always, but you're insecure in that relationship. Maybe not, maybe it's a relationship that's not bearing fruit. But if maybe it is bearing fruit, man, this is a great thing. You're good for each other. It's great. High fives from all your friends. Man, go for it. It works out with finding your role within the local church. Which, you know, what does is, what is God call me to do within his family and church? Because we know that every believer has a role in a local church. Well, serve generally. Serve somewhere. Don't sit on the sidelines figuring out, well, I don't know what I should do. I don't know what I would enjoy. I don't know what he's called me to. Well, just try stuff. Try a lot of different things. And then find out what do you enjoy. And but thirdly, is it bearing fruit? And people need to tell you, oh, man, when you do that one thing, when you administrate that, when you serve in that area, man, that, that area just goes well. Good things happen. And I think that third one's really important because sometimes we can have mixed motives. Sometimes we can want things that really we're not gifted at and isn't bearing fruit. So that third one's really important. But that's how you can find out your role. And this role that we get, Paul says here, that I was apostle by the will of God. This is something God does. God calls us together and he gives us gifts. He's made you you by the will of God. He hasn't made you her by the will of God. He hasn't made you him by the will of God. He's made you uniquely you to do it, to, to, to fill a role in, in this life, in this world. He's given you something to do. He's prepared good works for you to do. It's his design. It's his will so that no one uh, could boast. So you don't, you don't boast about your role and you don't belittle your role. It's something God puts together. That, that there's this famous passage in 1 Corinthians 12 about how the church is a body. And we're all different parts and, and uh, made up of different parts. And at the very end of it, it says this is the will of God, that God is the one who sets everything in motion. And that has great, great benefit because you get added a new level of confidence if what you're doing is by the will of God. People ask me, how do you, do you enjoy being a pastor? And I do. I, I enjoy being a pastor. But that's not what sustains me. Because sometimes I don't enjoy it. It's not you, it's me, by the way. Um, it's just sometimes I don't enjoy it. But what sustains me and what really thrills me is that I know it's God's will for my life. Now, if, if God had me do something else, I, I would, I'd feel the same way about that. But what's... What I love isn't so much like, oh, I get to do things that I really like to do. But it's because I just know that this is what God's will is for my life. It just adds a new layer of confidence. Now, maybe you're like, well, I don't really know what God's will is for my life. I, you know, I don't really know specifically and uniquely what God would have me to do. Well, I would say this. I would say that there's a general will that God has that's like 95% of life. And that is, you know, for example, if you're a spouse... You know it's God's will that you love your spouse as Jesus has loved you. So when you wake up in the morning, you know that it's God's will that you love your spouse. That's something God wants you to do. If you have children, you know that it's God's will that your children obey you. And that adds a new level of authority and new level of confidence in your parenting. That you're like, we all get kind of insecure about disciplining. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I? Well, it's God's will that your, God's will for your children is that they learn to obey you. And you're a part of that. 
man, that's just a new confidence. Man, if you're, if you're a Christ follower, God has called you, you know it's God's will that you serve, that you seek out um, opportunities to serve others versus seeking out opportunities for people to serve you. You know that's God's will for your life. And you can, you can have great confidence knowing that's what God wants you to do. So even if you haven't quite figured out, well, this is my specific, unique calling, man, we know there's so much in the Bible, there's so much of his general will that we know that God would want us to do. And so we just, you walk um, in those things. And then it says, and Timothy, our brother, so Paul says, Paul, who's an apostle of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Paul's saying here, I'm not doing this by myself. He didn't have to mention Timothy, but he did. Why did he mention Timothy? Well, he mentioned him because he wanted everyone to know that he doesn't, he's not just Paul, superstar in lights, but, hey, I'm doing this together with someone else. And there's a biblical concept about us working together in team that's so important. Because Paul is okay, but Paul and Timothy is dynamic. Me by myself is okay, but Brian and Rachel, I mean, there's a team there. There's something there. And in elders, it's not just that I lead this church, but it's, it's me and elders we're leading this church. We're, we're leading this together. It's a team dynamic. And this is something, this is a concept that we all need to be working in. And here's a question I have for you. Are you working in team? Are you sharing your life with someone? Are you sharing decisions with someone? Or is it just about you? It's about your life, your, your future, your decision, all of that. No, it's, the Bible said, no, we're, we're together. We're, we work together in things. You need to have someone in your life that, that you're doing life with that you say, hey, this is a part of my team. Ha, ha, is that clear to you? If not, man, don't let today in without going to someone and saying, hey, man, I need some team members. I'm, I'm doing this all by myself. Maybe you need to join a community group if you're not in a community. If you are in a community group and you still feel isolated, man, give your, go to your leader. Go to people in the group and say, man, I just, I'm doing life for myself. I want to be a part of a team. It's so, so Important, And then he ends with this. He says, to the saints and um, faithful brothers who are in Christ and at Colossae. In Christ, and that, that's huge. In Christ at Colossae. In Christ in Colossae. And there's these, there's these two spiritual realities that we, it's, it's a tension for us that we need to get. And that is that we are in Christ, that we're seated in heavenly places, that our citizenship is in heaven, yet we are also in St. Louis, or we are in Washington, or we are at the lake. That we are in Christ, but we're also in a geographical region. And this is, this is huge. This isn't just practical, like, oh, of course I'm, you know, I'm here. No, this, there's, a, there's a reality here, too. So first of all, we are in a relationship uh, in Christ, that we are in Christ, that we are seated in heavenly places. And this, this comes alive, I think, in, in the story of Jacob and Esau, if you're familiar with that story, if you're not familiar with that story, you can read about it in the book of Genesis. But basically, Esau was like this hunter. He was the older brother, and he was the one who was supposed to get the blessing from his father. And he was a hunter-gatherer, and he was very hairy. And uh, he, you know, he was smelled like the woods. He smelled like animals, and and he was that guy. And and then you had um, and then you had uh, Jacob, who was kind of like in IT. And he didn't really go outside so much. And he's, he, uh, I love you IT guys, by the way. And, uh, and he was kind of, he just wasn't out there. He was totally different. And, but Jacob, he does a sneaky thing. He wants the blessing of his older brother. But he, look, he has no hair on his arms. He, he smells like, you know, soap. And, you know, he just, 
He's just, how, how am I going to pull this off? And so he does a sneaky thing, and then he puts animal skin on his arms and everywhere. He's got hair all over him. And then he puts himself, he gets the aroma of Esau. He gets the aroma of animals and rubs it all over him so that he can go to his father in the skin of his brother Esau and in the aroma of his brother Esau. And Jacob was blind. And so the Old Testament, by the way, if you're not tracking with this yet, the Old Testament is this narrative of what our life is like now in Christ, uh, put it simply. And in this narrative, you, the, the father is looking, Jacob comes to him, and he feels his arms, and he, and he feels, oh, this is, this is Esau. This feels like Esau. And he smells. It smells like Esau. I'm going to give you the blessing of Esau. And we are the same way. We have an older brother, Jesus. It's amazing that he's our older brother. And it says that when it says that we are in Christ, it's just like that. We're, we're in, like, like Jacob was in Esau, we are in Christ. So when the Father reaches out to us, he feels Jesus. And he smells Jesus. He doesn't smell the stench of sin. He doesn't smell the stench of death. He smells the aroma of Christ. And it's this amazing, powerful thing that we are in Christ, that we are in this relationship with us, uh, with him. It's absolutely phenomenal. And it's so important that we, we know that. And so we need to know that we're, and so we pursue devotion, and we pursue worship, and we pursue prayer, and we pursue reading the Bible, and we want this relationship, and we value this relationship. But Jesus said uh, in John 17, he says that you are not of the world anymore. You are in me. You are seated in heavenly places, but you're not of the world, but I'm leaving you in the world. You're in me, but you're also in Colossae. You're in me, but you're also in St. Louis. You're in me, but you're also at the Lake of the Ozarks. You're in, you're, you're in me, but you're also in a particular area that I've called you to reach. Your citizenship is of heaven, but I'm calling you to bring heaven to earth. You're in Christ. I'm calling you to bring Christ to St. Louis. I'm calling you to bring Christ to Washington. I'm calling you to do these things. And it's this great tension that we need to understand that we're in Christ and all the benefits and riches and glory and fully understand that and fully get that, fully long for heaven, but also to understand, man, he's called us to do good here on earth. And, and, I've, and, I, and, and I know in my own life, and I know in just knowing enough Christians that this is a huge struggle. We tend to go one way or the other. You probably tend to go one way or the other. So maybe you're really good with the in Christ part and you get Bible reading and prayer and devotion and and, and, and you're, you know, everything you have is Christian, Christian music, Christian movies, Christian clothes, Christian toys, Christian, you know, everything. It's just all Christian. And you know nothing of the world. You don't have any friends outside of Christian friends. You don't do anything outside of a Christian subculture. You're not in the middle of culture. Jesus says, you know, what good is a, you know, you don't take a light and you hide it under a lamp and you've got to put that up, you know, city on a hill. You've got to get out in the middle of things. So maybe you're like, you know, I get, you're in, you got the in Christ part and that's important, but maybe not so good on the in Colossi part. Or maybe you've got the in Colossi part good 
and you're in culture and you're identifying with culture and you're really jazzed about what you can do on earth. Uh, and you're really into social action, you're really about, and that's where it's at, and let's build a community center, and let's do all that, and that's really important. But let me ask you, do you, I, I was, I'll put it this way, I was talking to an older gentleman about six months ago, and this is where we were having this conversation about social action and the real importance for the church to be relevant uh, in our cities today, which is so important, and we need to do that. But one of the things he said that he just kind of cautioned us young pastors on was, he said, you know, one of the things that happened to me in my life is that as I be, the more I pursued social action, the more I pursued what I can do on earth, I stopped looking toward heaven because I was so amazed about what can be done on earth that I forgot about heaven. And so it's like there's, there's traps at both ends. And so it's not like we just, well, you know, it's, it, we want to we be in Christ. Our hope is heaven. Our hope is not in this earth. Our hope is not what we can do in this earth. Our hope is heaven. It's Jesus. It's what he's doing. But we're, it's not just that. But God has given us a work to do. We're to be in, we're to be in Christ and in St. Louis. We're to be in Christ and in Washington, in Christ, in like the, or wherever we're at. And there's just a couple things that I think has been helpful for me uh, that might help you in this and holding this tension. Number one is to understand that you're not here by accident. And by here, that means if you're in St. Louis, St. Louis, or whatever location you're at, you're not in St. Louis by accident. God brought you here. You read Jeremiah 29, and it's, it's this moment in where the Israelites were in exile. They were forced march from Israel uh, to Babylon by the evil Nebuchadnezzar. And it was something against their will. It says they were, there, you know, there's guns, not guns, but there's knives and spears and all that just force marched into, um, into Babylon. But then three times in the beginning of Jeremiah 29, it says, I, the Lord, brought you here. I, the Lord, brought you here. I, the Lord, brought you here. So what was it? Was it Nebuchadnezzar taking them into Babylon or was it God? God's saying, well, they did it, but I use, I'm using that. I brought you here. You, were, you came here against your will, but I want you to know that I brought you here. Maybe, you're, you know, I was talking to a, a, a great sister here at Jubilee, and she was talking about how, like, this was, like, the only place, or this was the best place for her degree. But then, I mean, and I'm thinking about this sermon, and then as soon as she said that, she's like, but I know God brought me here. It's like, that's amazing. That's great. You know, maybe you were born here. You're like, well, it wasn't my choice. You know, my parents, you know, they, you know I'm here because of my... No, no, no. God brought you here. God brought you here. You, maybe you think, well, I'm here for a job. No, God brought you here. Your job didn't bring you here. God brought you here. God purposed that you would be here. And not only that, in this story, um, in this account, God says, you're not leaving here for 70 years. Now, the time span back then, according to Psalms, was three score and 10, 70 years. So when God said, you're not leaving here for 70 years, saying you're not leaving here. If you were 60 years old or you were born that day, you're going to die in Babylon. In other words, he's saying, you're going to be here forever. And so he says, because everybody else was wanting to, I don't want to go to Babylon. I want to go back to Israel. I want to go back. He said, no, no, plant gardens, start businesses get married, settle down. In other words, 
live as though you're going to be here for the rest of your life. And I think that's one of the things I think, this is one of the ways that you can really live this principle out, is because, you know, maybe you feel like, well, I'm just here, you know, I'm here for school and I'll be gone, or I'm, I'm here for a job for six months and then I'll be gone, or whatever it is. Man, I believe with all my heart the way God would have you to live is that you would live here as though you're going to live here for the rest of your life. It's the way that you can invest. It's the way that you can love your city. It's an important thing. So know that you're not here by accident. This is by the will of God. You are here by the will of God. Second thing is to know that St. Louis, that Washington, that the lake, that wherever you're at, they're not here by accident. When, when God designed for the Mississippi and the Missouri to converge here, that wasn't an accident. When Pierre Laclede in 1764 started a fur company near the riverfront, he was thinking, man, a new business. And heaven was saying, man, a new plan. Lewis and Clark come along. This looks like a great place for Western expansion. Heaven's saying this is a great place for gospel expansion. So cities, here's what cities are. Cities are just a big excuse to bring people together, lots and lots of people together, so that they can hear the word. So that their lives can be changed. This is one of the things that Acts 17 says. Let me show you this. This is God. God having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. God decides. God decides how long you live, and what period you live in. This was his idea. And their dwelling place. He's the one who decides where you live. He decided that. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. So this is what he's saying. God brings people together in cities so that they can find him. That's what cities are. Cities are just a big excuse for that. So maybe, you know, so that's what, so that's what God's all about. Whether it's you're here in St. Louis, whether you're at the lake, whether you're at Washington, these are, this is God's desire for you. God wanted you here, and God's using you to, to, to see that other people would come to know him. It's why he put these things into place. And so know that, that it's not an accident. This is God's plan. This is God's purpose. It's an amazing thing to think about that, that God in his wisdom has decided to use you in this particular time, in this particular city, for his glory, and so that other people would come to know. He, he, he's got this thing thought out. He wants to use you. And the way that you can kind of really get a hold of that Hey, I'm in Christ, but I'm also in Colossae. I'm in Christ, but I'm in St. Louis. I'm, I'm in Christ, I'm in Washington. I'm in these places. The one that you say, hey, you know, that, that, that um, I, I, this city is not an accident. It's not built on commerce. It's, built, it's God's idea. And that I'm not here on accident, that God has a plan and purpose for my life. And then Paul just ends with this simple statement. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. One of my hopes for the, as we kind of go on this series is that we would experience the grace and peace of God. Paul wanted his people, he says, I want you to know about God's grace. I want you to know about his peace. And I'm just really looking forward as we go through this letter together 
that we would come to know in a deeper way the grace and peace of God. Why don't you get out your communication card?